thank you this morning for the music and uh, we miss our seniors when they graduate and go off to college that's one of our uh, one of the things you hate to see but at the same time you're happy for them so we rejoice uh, in all that God has in store uh, as they go off to school this year we'll take your Bibles this morning turn to Hebrews chapter 1 verse 4 uh, we began this study in the book of Hebrews last week and this morning we come uh, to what we've entitled Jesus greater than the angels Jesus greater than the angels during football season I uh, sometimes when I'm in the car I'll switch over and listen to sports radio some of you go well, that's blasphemy no I, it's actually pretty entertaining sometimes depending on who you listen to um, particularly during football season because the Jaguars have struggled of late and you know in the last few years and uh, so it's interesting to listen to them talk about it and one of the things they uh, talk about sometimes is they'll talk about who's the greatest of all time in a position like they call them the goat get it greatest of all time who's the greatest of all time in a particular position of football you know and they'll say who's the greatest of all time in quarterbacks and everybody has their opinion and they'll say who's the greatest of all time in receivers and who's the greatest of all time as coaches and I got to thinking when I listened to them that's a pretty lofty title isn't it the greatest of all time meaning meaning no one is better no one's greater uh, unfortunately there's very few Jaguars mentioned in that conversation but <laughs> but uh, but they talk about the greatest of all time we did have someone going to the Hall of Fame yesterday so that's a that's a you know step in the right direction we somebody uh, recognized from here but I got to thinking about that title greatest of all times and really that's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying he's saying well I want to tell you about the greatest of all time and his name is Jesus and I want to tell you about why he's the greatest of all time and so he's writing to these Hebrew Christians these Jews who had gotten saved and he, what he wants to do is bolster their faith he wants to encourage them to not look back at Judaism and look back at the law and look back at the stuff that they had trusted so long and know that Jesus is the greatest of all time. He came and fulfilled all that the law pointed to, all that the Old Testament pointed to. And that message, you think, well, that was important for them in the first century. That was important for them because, you know, they were just, the church was just being, no, it's important for us today. To understand that Jesus is the greatest of all time. There's no one greater. In fact, you probably uh, have not thought about this. There are over, the latest numbers say there are over 4,000 religions in the world today. Think about that for a minute. 4,000 recognized religions in the world today. There's only one that's right. And I've had people say to me, well, that's pretty arrogant. No, it's not arrogant. It's just true. Truth is pretty exclusive. Jesus is the greatest. Jesus is the only God there is. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Doesn't get any more exclusive than that. Jesus is the greatest of all time. Here's the bottom line. And here's what the writer to the Hebrews is saying. If you want to be forgiven of sin, and you want to spend eternity with God, with the, with the one who created you, you have to come through Jesus. You have to confess your sin to him. He's the one who died on the cross. He's the one who, who was qualified to pay for our sin. Jesus is the only way. And so the writer to the Hebrews wants to encourage them and strengthen them. 
Now you say, well, why is he writing that Jesus is greater than angels? Because the Jews had an extensive doctrine concerning angels. The Jews really thought highly of angels. In fact, if you read extra-biblical material uh, of, of Hebrew origin, they have names for angels. They have names for a whole bunch of angels that aren't, that aren't in the Bible. And so they, they held angels in high esteem. And what the writer is saying to them is Jesus is greater than any of the angels, primarily because he created them. He's God. They serve him. So let's think about that for a few minutes this morning. Jesus greater than the angels. Look at verse 4. He says here, having become, or in the King James, being made so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, when you just read that verse, you think, wow, that's kind of kind of com- kind of confusing. What does it mean, having become so much better than the angels? This speaks directly to the incarnation of Christ. You understand this, and, and please, I I'm, I'm may belabor this point a little bit today because I had a conversation yesterday with two men who were lost, and they would not agree that Jesus is God. And so we, we debated for uh, about a half hour, and they would not embrace the idea that Jesus is God, that he was not created, that he is the creator. Now here's what the writer's saying to the Hebrews here. He's saying there was a time when Jesus, as eternal God, left heaven and took on human flesh. And he, he became, as it were, through this process greater than the angels by position and by inheritance. And he's going to say that. Jesus was greater than the angels because he created them. But understand, you'll see in a moment that when he took on flesh in his incarnation and came here to die for us on the cross, he took a position for a while lower than the angels because he became like us. But then when he finished the passion, completed his work, died on the cross, buried, rose again the third day, and ascended back to heaven, he is now back to that place of of honor at the right hand of the Father where he has, in fact, as he said, obtained a, a greater place in them through his finished work. And so he's saying to these Hebrew Christians, Jesus is not only God, but he has through his complete work obtained a position greater than those angels that you hold in high esteem. And I was thinking about some passages that speak to the incarnation of Christ. And there are just a few that that I would mention. One of them is in 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, because he was God and all of his glory, yet for your sakes he became poor that you through his poverty might be made rich. That's exactly what Jesus does for us when we're saved. Philippians 2, 5 uh, through 7 or 8, if I can remember it all. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus also, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he is God. But he left heaven and took on the form of a servant so that he what might go to the cross. And die, not just die, but die, suffer death on the cross, the most humiliating kind of death. So Jesus did that for us and has, through that work, obtained a higher position even than the angels. Well, let's think about angels for a minute. We could have uh, whole lessons on angels and what the Bible says about them, but let me just give you a, a short summary. Angels are created by God. They're creatures. They were created by God. We don't know when they were created. Some of the angels fell. That's where demons come from. Some of the angels followed Satan when he rebelled, and they became uh, evil uh, angels, if you will. Some of them, the Bible says, are incarcerated right now because they're so evil, God won't even let them loose. And during the tribulation, God's going to let them loose. little side note right here. If you're not saved, 
you need to get saved because if you're here when Jesus comes back and raptures the church and you go into the tribulation, you're really going to regret not being saved because hell's going to be turned loose on the earth. You say, well, I thought it already was. Well, we're not quite there yet, but it will be. Listen, the angels right now are superior to us. The angels are higher than us. We are lower than the angels. Here are some ways that the angels are superior to us. Number one, holiness. The angels that are in heaven are around the throne of God, and they worship him, and they serve him, and they are holy, and they're righteous because we know the Bible says no unholy thing can be in the presence of God. No unrighteousness. Why? Because he's perfectly holy. That's why we need to be saved. That's why we need Jesus, because when he forgives us, he gives us his righteousness so that we can have fellowship with the Father. So the angels are holy and they're righteous. The angels are smart. They're smarter than us right now. Their intelligence is great. They know what God's plan is. They see what God's doing. In fact, the Bible says they look on salvation and what Jesus did for us, and they wonder at that. They're amazed at it, that God would love us and do that. They're powerful. Angels are more powerful than us which is why the Bible says, Paul says, when, concerning evil and wickedness and demons, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual powers and principalities and powers in high places because angels are strong. You say, well, what chance do we have? Well, we have every chance because the Holy Spirit lives in us and God's greater than the angels. So if you're saved, God's got you and you got all the power in the world to withstand the wickedness in the world. But angels are strong. How about their position? Their position's greater than ours right now because they're privileged to be around the throne of God. They're privileged to be in his presence and to see him. Their composition, they don't have bodies that deteriorate and get old and get arthritis and got to wear glasses and, you know, the whole thing. Do you remember the first time your eyes started going? You know, you pick something up to read it and you went. You know, you can't, you can't really focus anymore. Hey, the angels don't have that problem. And when we get to heaven, get our new bodies, we won't have that problem either. But they, they have composition. Their, their, their existence is better than ours. So right now, they're greater than us. In fact, the psalmist said that in Psalm 8, verses 4 and 5. What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. God crowned us with glory and honor to rule over his creation. We messed that up. And for a while, we are lower than the angels. But there's coming a time, beloved, listen. There's coming a time when, when the rapture comes and we get our new resurrection bodies that we're going to be higher than the angels. And that's not a position of boasting. It's just the fact that Jesus, through grace, is going to elevate us to be greater than the angels. I don't know what that's going to be like. And I don't know what all that will entail, but I'm excited to find out. How about you? I'm excited for Jesus to come and, and begin that whole process. The point is this. Here's the writer's point, and all that stuff's neat. The writer's saying to the Hebrews, look, Jesus willingly left heaven and for a season took on a position lower than the angels. Talk about humility. Talk about humbling himself to take on human flesh and be lower than the angels for a season to buy our redemption. It's interesting, though, that even in his humility, the angels were obedient to him, and they did exactly what he said. Why? Because they knew he was God. They, they might not understand what he's doing, and they might scratch their head and say, I don't know why you're doing that, but you're still God. Remember in the garden when they came to arrest him? 
And Peter whipped out his sword, and he was going to fight for Jesus. And Jesus said, man, put that thing away. I could say the word right now, and legions of angels would come and deliver me. Jesus could have called out from the cross, and the angels would have come down and took him off of there and took him back to heaven. But he did it because he loves you. So the writer says to these Hebrews, Jesus came for a while to be lower than those angels, but he is greater than the angels that you hold in high esteem. Notice one last thing in verse 4. Notice it says, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. By completing his work, by coming and dying for us and doing all that the Father had asked him to do and all that he agreed to do, and being buried and raising again the third day and ascending back to heaven, there are two things he's done. Number one, he has earned an inheritance. You say, what kind of inheritance could Jesus earn? Well, his kingdom. You see, all, all of creation is cursed by sin. All of creation is touched by sin. And in his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus not only made a way for us to be saved, but he has made the way where all of creation is going to be renewed. He's going to create one day a new heaven and a new earth that's never been touched by sin. He has an inheritance of a kingdom, an eternal kingdom, where he's going to sit on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. So he has earned himself an inheritance. One of, the, one of the hard things these men I was talking to yesterday about Jesus, one of the things they had a hard time getting past is that he's the son of God and that he has an inheritance. I said it doesn't have anything to do with his deity. It has to do with him in the passion and him coming and dying for us and completing the plan that he and the Father planned from eternity. See, Jesus has earned himself an inheritance and he's going to finish his kingdom one day. Also, it's earned him an exalted name a name above every name, a name uh, before which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. The Father is glorified in the finished work of his Son, Jesus Christ. And so he's seated at the right hand of the Father, which is a place of honor. And he's seated there to make intercession for all who call upon his name. So this incarnation spoken of in verse 4, and this, this being greater than the angels is much, much bigger than the Hebrews would have understood. And that's why the writer is trying to help them understand. And his point simply is this. The angels worship Jesus today. They fall before him around the throne and they sing praises to his name because he's always been God. But they praise him. They praise him even more because of his exalted position as the son of God and that position that he took on to buy redemption for all humanity and to, and to buy back creation, if you will, to buy back all that Satan has destroyed. And so they worship him around the throne. And let me, let me remind you, if you're here today and you've never been saved, you say, well, you know, I don't go to church a lot or you're watching online. You say, I don't know. Understand this. God's real. He's the creator. You are his creature. And the Bible says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So your choice is in this life, you can come to Jesus now and you can be saved. You can be forgiven of your sin and God can change your life and, and, and really change you forever, for all of eternity. Or you can wait and you can face God as your judge. And you can face him as that one who will judge you for your sins. I don't recommend waiting. I would implore you and plead with you to come to Christ today. Ask him to forgive your sin. Trust him today because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you will bow before him one day. And those, those like those men yesterday, everybody who denies that Jesus is God, they deny his deity, they're going to bow one day and confess that he's Lord, that he is God. 
So don't do that. Don't, don't ignore the obvious in what the writer to the Hebrews says here. Now, beginning of verse 5, <clears throat> what the writer does is he begins to make some comparisons. He compares Jesus with the angels. He begins to show how Jesus is greater. Not only does he say Jesus is greater than the angels, but he begins to make those, begins to make those comparisons. Look at verses 5 and 6. For to which of the angels did he ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all the angels of God worship him. The first reason he said that Jesus is greater than the angels is God the Father has called him his son. Now, again, that causes perturbations for some folks. That causes struggles with some folks. They say, well, how can Jesus be God and be the son of God? Because when we think of son, we think of someone who's born. But that doesn't apply to Jesus. That's not what that means. It means that the eternal Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in the plan of salvation, agreed to take on these, these positions, if you will, these roles, these purposes to accomplish the plan of salvation. The Father was willing to give his Son. The Son was willing to come. And so in, in love and, and, in a, and in a way of honor, he calls Jesus his Son, his, his only begotten Son, his one and only precious Son that he gave for us to be saved. And so it is an honor. And, and what the writer is saying is no angels ever held that position. Not only has no angel ever held the position of being the son of God in that sense, but no angel could. You understand that when they looked around heaven for somebody to buy the redemption of lost men and women, the angels couldn't raise their hands. They couldn't say, send me. They couldn't say, I'll go. There was only one person in all the universe who could pay for our sin. His name's Jesus Christ. That's the writer's point. Nobody else could do it. And if Jesus hadn't have been willing to come, we'd have been in a heap of trouble because nobody else could do it. Jesus is willing to come, so he's greater than the angels. No angel's ever been called the Son of God in those terms. Now you say, well, you know, God's creatures are called his sons, not in the term of Jesus being Son of God or not. Maybe in the term of creation, but not in the term of Savior, not in the term of part of the Godhead. Not as in the Son of God who came in flesh. Two times the Father spoke out of heaven at the baptism and the transfiguration. He said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is the one I sent. So Jesus has that greatness greater than the angels because he's the Son of God. And then secondly, he's the firstborn of the first begotten. Now this is the one heretics really, really jump on right here. They'll say, well, look, right there it says that Jesus is the firstborn or the first begotten. That means he was created. No, it does not. Listen to me very carefully. That is not what that means. That term firstborn or first, or first begotten is a, is, means position. It means place. In a home, we have children, and the firstborn, when we say firstborn, we aren't necessarily speaking about them being physically born. We're saying they have the first position. They're the firstborn. And then there's the second born and the third and the fourth and however many you have. What he's saying here is Jesus is greater than the angels because he's the firstborn in position. He's the superior one above everybody else. He has the first position. He's the greatest. He sits at the right hand of the Father. Nobody else sits at the right hand of the Father. Nobody else is honored by the Father like Jesus. Why? Because he completed his work of redemption. 
and the Father is well pleased with that. So the Father is glorified in the Son, and he honors him. He's the firstborn, the one who sits in the first position. Don't let anybody ever tell you Jesus is created or born. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Jesus is not God. Because see what some, some false doctrines will tell you and what false teachers will tell you is that somewhere in eternity past, God, the, God Jehovah created Jesus Christ. And that's a lie. That's not true. Jesus has always been God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one God. And in that eternity, they planned to save us. And that plan included Jesus taking on humanity and dying on a cross and ascending back to heaven in a resurrection body where he is the firstborn of all creation. He's the firstborn of all things. He's the firstborn of all redeemed. In fact, let me elaborate on that. Jesus is the firstborn in the sense that he's the first of all who will be like him. The Bible said he's the first fruits, which means he's a sample of what all the rest of us are going to be like who are saved. Jesus went back to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he's the first of all who will be like him. When you get saved, and when you got saved, and when I got saved, we began a process of sanctification. You say, well, I've heard of that before. It's a process of the Holy Spirit who's conforming us to the image of Christ. Now, some are being conformed a little faster than others, okay? Let's just, you know, I mean, it's just the way it is, okay? Some Christians are, some Christians are on the e-ticket ride to conformity to Christ. Some of us are on the D-ticket, you know, we're on the A, we're on the slow train. But the fact is, everybody who's truly born again by faith in Jesus Christ is on a process of being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, when Jesus comes back and he raptures us, we're going to get new bodies. We're going to get a resurrection body like his. And we will be completely and fully conformed to his image. Now, we won't be gods. Don't, don't, don't get too high-minded here. We're not going to be deity. But in grace, he has chosen to make us in his image, meaning we're going to get a new body, a resurrection body like his. And in that state... We will be holy, and we will be righteous, and we will be sinless, something, the things that we are not now. We will be sinless like him. Why? Because he gives us his sinlessness. He gives us his righteousness. We didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't do it on our own, but in grace, he gives it to us. So we will be conformed, and in that sense, listen, in that sense, he is the firstborn. Of all the sons and daughters he will bring with him. The church of Jesus Christ, his bride. So he's the firstborn in that sense. But never think for a moment, never think for a moment that the idea of firstborn has anything to do with him being created. Because it does not. It's all about his, it's all about his position uh, as a savior and as the one in heaven who sits in that honored position. Now, after making those important points, the writer does this. In verses 7 and 9, he quotes a couple of Old Testament passages. Now you say, why would he do that? Because he's talking to who? Hebrews, who would be very familiar with the Old Testament. What's the best way to convince a Hebrew of the truth of the New Testament? Show them Jesus in the Old Testament. Okay? And, and by the way, that's not hard to do because Jesus is all over the Old Testament if you just look for it. And so what he does here is he takes two passages out of Psalms. Why would he choose Psalms? 
who wrote Psalms, most of it. Their greatest king whom they, whom they respect. So he says, hey, let me give you a couple of quotes from a guy that you know, all right? Let me give you a couple of quotes from a guy that you, that you recognize to show you that Jesus is greater than angels. So look at verses 7 and 9. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But to the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. By the way, may I point out that God the Father calls God the Son God. It doesn't get any clearer than that, does it? I mean, you can't be God if you're created. So calls him God right here. Verse, verse uh, 9. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness more than your companions. Psalm 104, verse 4 is the first quote. And what he's saying is very simply this. The angels were created, and they are what we would call mutable. They change forms, spirits of fire, they come in different forms. You see them as a, look at the Old Testament. They came with, with the theophany of Jesus to meet with uh, Abraham before Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. And they looked like men, okay? They came to them. And they ate a meal with them, by the way. That's a whole other thing. But they came to them. And then other times they, they seem as spirits. They come and they scare people, you know, in the Old Testament. They show up and talk to them. The, the point is they're mutable. They're changeable. They come and go. They do what God tells them to do. Jesus is what we call immutable. Immutable means he never changes. He's constant forever. His character never changes. His person never changes. In fact, it says there, he, it's a scepter of righteousness. It's a scepter of his kingdom forever and ever and ever. Why? Because that's his nature. Holiness and righteousness and majesty and glory. And those things never change. You say, well, what happened when he was incarnate? It was just veiled in flesh. It was just tabernacled in a tent of flesh for a while. But that glory and all that honor was still there. He just laid it aside so he could come die for us. In fact, when on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he peeled back a little bit and let some of that glory out, and they couldn't stand there. They all fell on the ground. So the point is, Jesus is greater than the angels because he's immutable. They, they, the angels do what Jesus tells them to do. They're employed by him. They do his bidding. Again, even when he was here, they obeyed him. Many times in my mind, and the Bible doesn't say this, I would think of the angels must have been on the ramparts of heaven looking over, you know, hand on the hilt of their sword, just waiting for the word. Man, I can't imagine the angels of heaven who, who've worshipped him as God and know him as God and seen his glory and his majesty to watch him be abused and sped upon and, and hung on a cross. I just know they were waiting they were just waiting for the command to come get him. But he didn't call them. He died for us. So greater than the angels because Jesus is immutable. And secondly, secondly, not only is he, is he immutable, but it says here that, that he, he as the king, his kingdom is forever and ever. Forever and ever. His kingdom forever. Which means as he has gone back to heaven and sits 